0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. This is episode number 140. I'm Brevin Honda, joined, as always, by Kyle Betts. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: Doing great, Brevin. We had another big week in sports. So much happened in this past week. And uh, not only that, it just felt like uh, it was that theme in the sort of national news, international news kind of scheme of things as well, when you just break down everything that's kind of happened in our world. It's just been such a crazy time, um, and that kind of leads us to the start of this episode here as well, Brevin, uh kicking things off, but yeah, just uh, a jam-packed week uh, full of sports news, just everything, really all the above, um making for this week. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it is currently Friday, February 16th, as we are recording this, it's about 145 here, On the West Coast, just approaching the 2 o'clock hour. So with that, we're going to get... Let's go ahead and get started here with our Fast Five. And biggest national, maybe even global news of the week was... um, This is a little precursor, so if you haven't watched the Super Bowl, you didn't watch it, go watch it now. Uh, Pause this video, pause this podcast, and then come back to it. But the Kansas City Chiefs, they held their championship parade on Wednesday after winning the super bowl against the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday in Las Vegas which we'll get to more uh, at the end of the fast 5 however as the parade came to an end uh, there was gunfire that rang out it killed one and injured 22 others that uh, and part of those injuries were a 6 year old and after investigation from the Kansas City police department the shooting appeared to be a dispute uh, between several people
1: yeah three people were arrested in this uh i think they were just identified as uh persons of interest but it was an adult and two juveniles actually so that situation still evolving like you said as as this investigation continues here but yeah i mean this is something you never want to see anywhere unfortunately we're, we're seeing it more often than ever here in our country in our world and uh and an event like this where, you know, everything's supposed to be, you know, joyous and you're supposed to be celebrating the city and the team um, when disaster strikes, that's the worst possible thing that can happen. And that was exactly what happened uh, here on Wednesday, Brevin, just a terrible situation here. Um, definitely, um, you know, thinking of everyone who was at that parade who had to witness that and all, all the victims as well, obviously, Uh, We're all praying and thinking about about them. Um, But just, you know, for that to happen at such an event where, you know, you're supposed to be celebrating an accomplishment when it's rattled with tragedy, it's just, it's just heartbreaking, Brevin. And you just um, continue to to feel for everyone involved here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was even tough, you know, even for, I know even for me on, this was Wednesday Mm -hmm. I know it's like, I saw this go through on Twitter, and I was like, okay, this can't, really can't be happening. So, luckily, I was distracted from all this news by writing two golf stories. Uh-huh. So, luckily, I was able to not think about it too much and continue to put out some golf stories that did go up mm-hmm. um, on Wednesday. But we move on to point number two. Of the Fast Five, Uh, last week we talked about, on episode 139, about the Kobe Bryant statue that was available last week right outside Crypto.com Arena. Uh, However, uh, Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa Bryant, uh, said that in addition to the one statue that was unveiled, there will not only be a second, but there will be a third statue for the five-time champion... And that stitch, uh, the statue that was unveiled last week was of him of Kobe wearing his number eight jersey. The other two statues was showcased being a father, uh, with his daughters, as well as the other wearing his number twenty four jersey.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is great to hear. I mean, never would expect three statues uh, to be built for anyone, but in honor of Kobe's life and legacy we see this happening and, and it's a great thing. Uh, it's a great way to honor him. And I, I think, you know, having the numbers of two, eight and 24 be, you know, themes all throughout, um, of these statues are, are, are very beautiful things. We saw his ceremony, uh, be obviously, uh, honored on two, eight, twenty-four uh, for the unveiling of the first statue. Um, I mean, it, it's great to see this Revan. Um, and how involved the Lakers have been um, trying to uh, make this a reality and to see uh, Kobe memorialized and his legacy just be honored in front of Crypto.com Arena or what was known to him as Staples Center. Um, It's it's a great thing. It's an absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you even think about when they had the jersey retirement, they didn't retire just the number eight or the number 24. Remember, they retired both. So it's kind of fitting that they continue that process and have those two different statues. Um, for Um th- Because when you think about the numbers that he had compared to the time when he was wearing number eight, compared to the time that he was wearing 24, is pretty identical. I mean, he won three championships with number eight, won two more with, an, I think, an MVP with number 24, or mm-hmm. the MVP might have been with number eight. But you just see that... Um, the hard work just continued, no matter what number he had on the front and back of his jersey.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, we go from one basketball star to another. Where yesterday, Iowa's Caitlin Clark, who we talked about last week and pretty much over the last few months, she became the all-time scoring leader in NCAA Division One women's basketball history in the first quarter. And did it on a, nothing better than a transition logo three, mm-hmm. as the fourth ranked Hawkeyes went on to defeat Michigan one hundred six eighty nine in from uh in front of a home uh sold out crowd at their home arena. Uh, Caitlin Clark scored a single game career high and also a program record forty nine points to go along with thirteen assists, and she surpassed Kelsey Plum who previously held the scoring record at 35, uh, 3,527 points.
1: Yep. Uh, Caitlin Clark proving herself, uh, as an icon and she is doing incredible things. It's so cool to be seeing her, uh, breaking this record. I mean, I I think it's still pretty early on in the season for her. So, I mean, she's (laughs) breaking that record, Uh, Brevin, she could easily get to 4,000 career points by the end of the season, potentially. Um, The way she's playing right now, I mean, 49 points in a game game is ridiculous. She's only getting better with time here uh, during her college career, and it's a joy to watch for sure. You know, we talked about how Steph Curry is going to be shooting against Sabrina Ionescu uh, this upcoming weekend in our last episode here on Down the Line. Well... Next year, I kind of want to see Caitlin Clark against Steph Curry at this rate, right? Because, I mean, yeah. this, <laughs> make make this a, a yearly thing because, I mean, just you see the talent being produced here um, from w- women's college basketball, and it's astounding Brevin. and I think it's better than we've ever seen before. Caitlin Clark obviously is a huge part of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like right now, if Caitlin Clark does not – uh, you go back to Iowa for another year. The first pick of the 2024 WME draft belongs to Indiana, the Fever. So that would obviously be close to home, where she is uh, obviously playing, grew up in Iowa. Um, and when uh, Clayton Clark uh, reached that mark, uh, the scoring record yesterday, Kelsey Plum actually tweeted on Sunday a preemptive tweet, as you can call, um tweeting at Caitlin Clark, congratulations on the record and really your entire season. I appreciate what you do for the game. Much respect and love. See you at the next level, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then eventually retweeted it and said, My bad, next game.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Since this is on Sunday. Um yeah, you mentioned Kyle, four thousand is probably definitely in play. You think about four regular season games left for the Hawkeyes. That includes Senior Day as well. Um, in addition, they've got their Big Ten postseason games, their NCAA tournament run that this Iowa Hawkeyes team wants to go far in. So, yeah, there's plenty of a good amount of games left for uh, Caitlin Clark to continue to reach um, as the season goes along.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, we go to number four on this list where... 82 time PGA Tour winner Tiger Woods uh, played in his first event of 2024 at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles for his first official start since last year's Masters, which shot uh, a 1 over 72 in Thursday's first round. And just a minute ago, he has withdrawn from the tournament due to an illness.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So Tiger Woods currently, at the time of his withdrawal, um, he was playing all right. During his second round, he was uh, one over through six at the time he had withdrawn and took in his tee shot on seven. So wow. hopefully it's only an illness. I know yesterday... Uh, He was dealing with some back spasms late in his round. So Mm. hopefully that um, this illness isn't too much uh, for him. Mm. Um, But overall, you know, he'll still be as long as he's healthy enough um, and he's not contagious or anything like that. He'll still have his duties of being the tournament
1: host. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Yeah, you want to see the best outcome from Tiger, you know, in the situation. Uh, as it continues to evolve here. But yeah, Brevin, you said it exactly right. I mean, um, ho- hopefully it's nothing more than what's being reported as an illness. I think that's the main thing to uh, look out for here in regards to Tiger, for sure. Um, hopefully he's able to come back stronger from this as well. Um, but yeah, Brevin, I mean, this is uh, this has been pretty good competition uh, right now. Uh, who, who are you thinking is... Uh, Looking the best of the pack, you in your opinion?
0: Yeah, right now, well, uh, every single week on Sports Knock, I do five picks within my tournament previous. None of my five are among the lead, but they've gotten done, done better today from yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: the lead right now is 10 under by Patrick Canley. He's so far three under through nine holes so far today. Uh, the five players that I picked this week, Kyle, uh, Wyndham Clark has shot two over this today and is at two over for the tournament through 16 holes. I've got the rookie in Ludwig Aberg. He's two, also two over on his round today, one over for the tournament. Uh, Victor Hovland is three under through 10 holes today, up to four under on the tournament, tied for 18th. And Max Toma, as well, is also a player that I had. That was number four. He's four under so far today at 1.6 under through 14. He's right now four under through sixteen. So has dropped a couple of shots back. And then my fifth player was Cameron Young, who is shot better today. Three under through 10 holes today. Two under for the tournament. So hopefully these players can get it going over the weekend. You know, this is the signature event. But this is more of like an elevated signature event because even though there's 70, 70 80 players competing this week, Kyle, mm-hmm. there are there is a 36 hole c- cut. uh, at the top 50 in ties, plus any player within 10 10 strokes of the lead.
1: There you have it, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a good finish, I think.
0: Yeah, it will be. Uh, Cam Davis is right behind Patrick Cantlay. Mm -hmm. um, Nine under par. Luke Lish, Jason Day, and Mackenzie Hughes, they're all at eight under. Um, all, All three of them are done for the day. Um, with their round, you get a good group at seven under. That includes Jordan Spieth uh, at six under. You've got Will Zal- You got names like Xander Shoffley. He shot five under on the day, one of the top rounds so far today. Tony now is at five under, also at ten un- also at six under. With Xander Shoffley is a- is Will Zalitaurus. Remember, he's been continuing to make his return from that back surgery that he had last year. Will's Alatoris today made a hole in one on the par 314th from 184 yards, Kyle. Wow. And his reward for getting that hole in one, he gets a new vehicle for both him and his caddy.
1: Let's go. The caddy gets some love. I love that. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That's fantastic. Let's go, Will's Alatoris. I am a fan of his for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Will's Alatoris gets the uh, get the crowd at 14 going. The only ace so far this week at the Genesis uh, Invitational. mentioned Tony Finau. He's at 5-under with Hideki Matsuyama at um, 5-under. And then that's all tied for 12. So it just tells you how close that this um, close finish is going to be as we get towards tomorrow and um, into Sunday.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, Up next here on uh, the Fast Five, we go from technically one global sport to another, uh, where we got the heart of the soccer season starting this week with the UEFA Champions League round of 16. Uh, The knockout stages took place earlier this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. We teased about this a couple of months ago and what to expect. So for the scores on Tuesday and Wednesday look like... Look like this, where on Tuesday, um, you had Real Madrid pull out a 1-0 victory and Man City defeating Copenhagen
1: 3-1. Yeah, it didn't see much from the Real game here, but I mean, an expected victory by them. Uh, maybe expected a little bit more than 1-0, but it is what it is. Uh, they did what they needed to do. And uh, Manchester City, yeah, they looked fairly strong throughout. I mean, I, I was able to catch some of that game. Uh, Copenhagen's goal was just a terrible mistake for Madison, uh passing uh, to one of his defenders. But beyond that, they were pretty stout. Uh, their um, usual players uh, performed well, and we're going to see how they do next, uh, next week at home.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the uh, other two games on Wednesday, or the other two matches, Lazio defeated Bayern 1-0. And then you had another shutout match where Paris, PSG, they defeated Real Sociedad 2-0. No
1: surprise on the PSG game there, but I will uh, touch on the Bayern game uh, going down to Lazio. I mean, this is not what you expect from a team that has the quality like Bayern uh Thomas Tuchel looks like he's going to be fired at the, at this rate. Um they're at risk for their first trophyless season in I think numerous seasons in about a decade or so, maybe even longer. So, uh they better perform well next week or uh their season will be remembered um in a negative way for sure. Mhm.
2: Uh
0: next week's round of 16 first leg action includes uh, Atletico Madrid taking on Inter. And then you get PSV against Dortmund on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, you get Arsenal. They're hosting FC Porto. And then you get Barcelona also uh, taking on Napoli.
1: Yeah. These are going to be really great games. I'm looking forward to all of them. Um, shout out to the Champions League for preempting some of my newscasts for these upcoming weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty much gonna do it for the Fast Five. Oh, going back to Will Zalatoris's hole in one. So the vehicles that Zalatoris won, or yeah. Zalatoris, he receives a 2024 Genesis GV80, mm. and his Caddy Joel Stock receives a 2024 Genesis Electrified GV70 for the Good for that ace. Good
1: for them. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Let's get into uh, the NFL where we had the base game of the year go down, the Super Bowl, where it came down to the final pe- uh, final play where the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 25-22. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes completed 34 of his 46 passes for 333 yards as he found wide receiver McCole Hardman for the game-winning touchdown from three yards out in overtime.
1: yeah Brevin I was uh driving from San Diego back here to Bakersfield uh, on Sunday afternoon I made it back here in in time for I think it was about halfway through the first quarter in which I got back was kind of listening to the game as I was driving down the the hill to the central Valley here but um great competition that I was able to to see uh, after that point and It was pretty much a tale of two halves for the most part. I mean, the Niners still, at the same time, could not take advantage in that first half. I think that was key. Um, Just crucial mistakes, shooting themselves in the foot, I think was the story of the first half. The second half, I think the Chiefs had uh, a little bit of uh, help on their side. Um, I'll I'll touch on that a little bit later in our uh, three-up, three-down. But... um, I mean, Patrick Mahomes put together a great comeback. There's no doubt about that. We saw a stark contrast in the teams as we went into overtime. I think that was massive. The 49ers not fully understanding the new overtime roles. The Chiefs on the opposite end of the spectrum taking advantage of that. I think that was huge, Revan. And mm-hmm. when the Chiefs revealed that if the Niners scored after their first drive and if they would have gone for – and if they scored, they would have gone for two. So – Imagine that ending. Obviously, that's not what came to be. But um, I think, Brevin, the two-point conversion play that they had in mind was ultimately the game-winning touchdown to Nicole Hardman, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. mm -hmm. Also, Patrick Mahomes rushed nine times for a team-high 66 yards. That included a couple of... Read options, both on a fourth and one on that overtime drive. I think the other was on a third and two or something like that in the fourth quarter. And it was just like, once he started running the ball and he had that vision, you know, it was just unstoppable. Um, As the game went along, they had the opportunity to go out and win the game with nine seconds left in regulation, but decided to be a little passive and play for overtime Um, and go ahead and kick that chip shot field goal by Harrison Butker.
1: And I think that's the thing about Mahomes that we haven't seen is, you know, he, he really did have to do stuff with his legs in this game to win. This is not the week. This is probably the weakest Kansas City offense we've seen since he's been there. And that was a huge difference maker, And I think you're totally right. Not only that, but let's think about, you know, how many other previous playoff games or Super Bowls have we seen Patrick Mahomes get banged up? You know, we, we've we seen him uh, play in the Super Bowl with a bum ankle, and yep. he can't move around as much as he as he could in the past. That was not the case here. We had a fully healthy, for the most part, Kansas City Chiefs team. And especially when your quarterback is, is, is healthy, that's a huge difference maker when he can use his legs like Patrick Mahomes can, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you mentioned that weaker offense of this Chiefs team, no chief receiver had more than a hundred yards, um, as Travis Kelsey had nine receptions for ninety-three yards on ten targets. Mentioned Nicole Hardman had the game winning touchdown. He had three receptions for fifty-seven yards with Justin Washington at three receptions at fifty-four yards. Isaiah Pacheco, 18 carries, 59 yards, his longest run just going for 10 yards. On the 49ers side, you had Brock Purdy completing 23 of 38 passes for 255 yards with a touchdown QBR of 69.8. Jawan Jennings threw that touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey on a trick play from 21 yards out. McCaffrey also 22 carries on 80 yards. His longest run went for 11 yards. Both McCaffrey and Isaiah Pacheco each had fumbles um, in the first half. Yeah. Um, but it was still a really tight game as you saw um, as that Super Bowl went along. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the game, Kickers uh, also made history. Uh, Jake Moody made the longest field goal at 55 yards, only only to be broken. Um, that field goal was made during the first half, and then in the second half, Harrison Butker from the Chiefs Drilled his uh, longest field goal for 57 yards.
1: Yeah, I mean, just two guys going at it, really. And to see those guys compete here, even in the Super Bowl, was astounding. And you really do see how much, you know, the game is evolving here with kickers becoming better and better year after year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm <laughs> hmm. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he collected his third Super Bowl MVP. The only other players in Super Bowl history with three Super Bowl wins and two regular season MVPs or more include Tom Brady, who's got seven uh, Super Bowls and two MVPs, and Joe Montana, who's got four Super Bowl wins and two
1: MVPs. Yep, cementing himself as one of the best ever and... uh this is going to be the team to uh, beat here for, I'm sure, several more years.
0: Mm-hmm. And remember, too, Patrick Mahomes, he is just 28 years old. Uh, next year's going to be his age 29 season, so definitely has the opportunity um, to get there. You know, pretty much as long as Travis, Kelsey's, Travis Kelsey is healthy. And they got some good, stable players in that offense that understand that offense. This is going to be a force here for definitely years to come.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, On Monday, so about 24 hours after the Super Bowl, Nelson, uh, or I should say Nielsen, as long as Adobe Analytics reported the Chief Super Bowl win over the 49ers as the most watched program across TV and streaming platforms in history. Averaging one hundred and twenty-three point four million viewers. Nielsen also said a record set a record of two hundred and two point four million watched at least part of the game across all networks.
1: Yeah, I mean incredible numbers here. I'm not surprised about them at, at all, but I was looking forward to seeing these numbers, especially as the game went into overtime, as more people were tuning in um we all know the halftime show uh, had several guests as well so people were tuning in for that um just to keep that constant um level of mil- hundreds of millions of viewers watching our broadcasts no matter how it is it's impressive and we saw people around the world all all you know taking part in this and and sharing the moment um football fans and and even swifties were were taking yep. part and i think that's a big factor in this as well. I mean, I'm not even just saying that to say it. I actually believe it. I think Taylor Swift definitely drew a lot more viewers to this game. She was on camera several times, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, and the NFL taking advantage of that for their business product, I mean, I can't blame them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a reason why this was the most, the most viewed Super Bowl and program TV program ever. Uh, Not only because of those reasons, but because of the matchup as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Front Office Sports, they uh, put a tweet out on X regarding the female viewership for uh, the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Females ages 18 to 24, the viewership and the ratings were up 24% year over year. Uh, females aged twelve to seventeen was up eleven percent, and overall female viewership was up nine percent. While women comprised forty-seven and a half percent of the game's total audience, the game's most ever.
1: Yeah, that's that's a crazy stat.
0: Hmm. Um. Also, um. In addition to, um, the stats earlier from Nielsen and Adobe Analytics, CBS Sports PR also. Uh, mentioned on Twitter that Super Bowl 58 is the most streamed Super Bowl in history, led by a record-setting audience on Paramount Plus.
1: Yeah, totally believe that as well. You see, streaming becoming more plat, I mean, streaming platforms becoming, I mean, ultimately more plat, uh, popular no matter where you consume media. I mean, it's just available everywhere and Paramount Plus is getting more uh, users and and customers, if you will. And so, yeah, I I know that the the NFL put on a good product this year, and Mm -hmm. uh, the game was obviously very competitive. I know Paramount Plus did go down for some people at at some points in the game. (laughs) Did it really? (laughs) So you can only imagine uh, how people felt during those moments. But other than that, yeah, it's a big success for CBS. Mm Mm-hmm. I have
0: to remember Reba McIntyre. She performed the Star Spangled Banner. You had Usher, along with others, perform at halftime. That included names like Alicia Keys, Ludacris, among others. Um, Yeah, it was just all a great event from beginning to end. Plenty of stars out. We had the NFL honor ceremony that we'll get to in a sec. But first, let's get to our three-up, three-down from the Super Bowl. Kyle, who's your first pick among your three-up?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Jawan Jennings here to start. Um, Just a crazy game here on his end. He became the uh, second player in NFL history to record a passing touchdown and a receiving touchdown in the Super Bowl. Um, That joins uh, Eagles quarterback Nick Foles. We obviously remember that game as well. But, yeah, Jawan Jennings is one of those guys where he'll just play hard for you no matter what he's doing. He's a football player. Um, no matter his role, he will give it his all. I mean, he, he's a great run blocker for a reason. Uh, We saw what he was capable of doing in that game, catching that touchdown, and even uh, that trade play uh, working out in his favor. Maybe a little bit of uh some good fortune there, but I think he just played a heck of a game, and he should be recognized for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's probably on track to be maybe the Super Bowl MVP if the Niners yeah. should maybe win one. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, next up for me, I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes here, and not just for his play throughout the game, but that final drive in overtime, I think he went like a combined A for eight with like 15 or 20 rushing yards too, and just was able to get first down after first down, didn't worry about the clock, Um, you know, it was just so huge. Um, and the plays that he made, the passes that he threw. I mean, really all night the only mistake that he had was that interception off one Lake with I think it was Kelsey and Hardman who yeah. were both in the area. But other than that, Mahomes was practically perfect. Um, so but that final drive in the overtime, it was just like, All right, you're open, here you go, here's the ball, you know, and it was just they understood what was coming, you know, even on that um, the all-out blitz from it was like when they when San Francisco blitz seven or something like that. Uh, Mahomes was ready for it because he just threw it, checked it down to Jared McKinnon, and you see all those different plays that led up to, um, the Hardman touchdown to win the game.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. All right, I'm gonna give my next selection here for my three up. I'm gonna go with Trent McDuffie. One of the players of the game, uh, in Super Bowl Fifty Eight, he had four stops on third down during the game. He had a big uh, deflection on third and long late in the fourth fourth quarter to give Kansas City possession. That led to the Chiefs' uh, uh, offense tying and forcing overtime in this game. He had three tackles, three passes defense, uh, two quarterback hits, and he also became the third starting cornerback in history to win two Super Bowls in his first two seasons in the league. So I think he's been a key player for them all season long. Uh, I believe he was an all pro as well. And yep. so,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, he, he's just been fantastic for them. And uh, he is working out for them in regards to uh, how they did uh, in last year's draft.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Up next for me, I'm going to go kind of on top of that point and just see this entire Chiefs defense. And the way that they were able to come together, especially in that second half, Nick Bolton, a uh, team high thirteen tackles, including five solo tackles, including uh, a tackle for the loss and a QB hit. Um, I think two. I think. Uh, I think it was McDuffie. He also had that big cornerback uh, blitz on third down that was so key. Um, I think it was like two minutes left or something like that. That helped the Chiefs yeah. be able to go on that um game time drive in the yep. fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Reed he had nine tackles with uh including half a sack. Mm. Uh, that half sack was with George Carlottis who recovered a fumble, had three quarterback hits, um had five total tackles as well. Chris Jones had a couple of for sure two QB hits. I think it would definitely. At least two quarterback pressures as well, including one that was overthrown by Brock Purdy into the end zone as well. So, yeah, just really good defense for this Chiefs team when it's been, or really over the years, a, a team that's been dominated by their offense.
1: Hundred percent. I'm gonna go with the uh, adversity factor of this game here to wrap up my three up. Um, I mean it's a Super Bowl you you can't prepare for anything that's really going to happen in this game itself. You just have to do what you can and prepare for your opponent accordingly in the film room. But when things don't go your way on the football field, you have to overcome that. And that's kind of what we've seen time and time again from the Chiefs, not only, you know, over the course of like the second half of the season, but the whole year. And to me, that's not something that we've seen in the past. And so – in this game, Travis Kelsey running over to Andy Reid in the second quarter, uh pushing him, uh, making contact and just yelling at him uh was pretty shocking to see. But also, the Chiefs have kind of been there before. They they've been there before throughout the season, so it, it's something that they've been through. But I wasn't sure if they were gonna be able to come back from this. Instead of that, um they, they did. In the second half, they, they pulled together. I don't know what was said at halftime, but um, they found a way to win, and that's what's most important. And you can say overcoming adversity, not only in this game, but the whole season, has just been huge for the Chiefs. I mean, in every postseason game, they were underdogs as well, so um, they didn't have the home field advantage they usually did as well. I mean, this is, this is a team that just found a way to gut it out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, the final point of my three-up, I'm going to go Brock Purdy here. Completed 23 passes of his 38 attempts, 255 yards, uh, had that one touchdown pass. You know, there wasn't really he did anything wrong for this Niners team when you really think about it. It was more the turnovers that were caused by um, the others and the decisions that go into that. I mean, he still had a quarterback rating of nearly seventy and a rating of, like, 89.3. You think about two weeks ago when the Chiefs had played Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, who was the MVP, who we're going to get to more in a little bit, quarterback rating against the Chiefs during that AFC Championship game was just 41.6 and a QBR of 75.5. So that tells you just how well that Brock Pretty played against this Chiefs defense um, as that game went along.
1: 100%. I mean, he seemed so composed and... Mm -hmm well put together despite what was going on in that game. And so I think, you know, when when you see a quarterback like that uh, perform pretty well, but not everything goes away. I mean, just just makes you kind of just go back to the drawing board, but at the same time realize the potential that you have in him.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Kyle. Now we're going to move on to our three down. I'm going to kick things off here. If it wasn't for, we're going to talk about the overtime rules in a sec, but if it wasn't for those overtime rules, probably the other biggest point in the game was Jake, Jake Moody's missed point after attempt after Jawan trainings scored that receiving touchdown. What that led to was that was, instead of a four-point game, it was a three-point game, meaning that as this Chiefs defense went on that final drive, you know, they only knew that, that at, at least what they could have done was get a field goal instead of having to go after a touchdown and go after the win uh, in regulation. So that point right there was um, so big on that blocked uh, PAT by that Chiefs uh, special teams.
1: Mm -hmm. 100%. That was a huge factor in this game. Mm -hmm. I would have had that as my fourth point if we had a four down. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with uh, the luckiest punt bounce in history. for my uh, first selection here. Um, I mean, there's just there's just no way that happens. There's just no way, right? Um, Chiefs punt. What was this? Third, uh, midway third quarter?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Chiefs are punting the ball. Niners about to get possession. The, the punt goes off of a 49ers player, off of a gunner, off of his ankle, yeah. running downfield in punt coverage, and... Chiefs fall on it, they recover, and go on to score a touchdown.
0: Yeah, that led to Marcus Velda scaling in the touchdown.
1: That is just the, the most Chiefs thing ever happened <laughs> in the Super Bowl, once again. And that's a play I don't know if I'll ever be able to get over. Similarly to uh, Raheem Moore against the Baltimore Ravens in the 2012 playoffs, that was... Uh, just a play I, I will never forget. That is just uh-huh. crazy how that happened.
0: Uh-huh. The football just likes to go in its own way, and it just finds a gunner's foot.
1: Yeah. So the football does truly does crazy things sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Up next for me, Kyle, you talked about the adversity factor. And the incident with Travis Kelsey on the Isaiah Pacheco fumble. Travis Kelsey was not in the game when that fumble took place. And as a result of that, he bumped – Andy Reid, not necessarily sure if this were on purpose, but um, on his podcast, the New Heights podcast, he uh, was talking with his brother Jason and said that that action was unacceptable um, and that um, uh, that the motions got the best of him. And luckily to his credit, and, and Jason Kelsey also mentioned this, that it's also that connection and that relationship yeah. that uh, Travis Kelsey has with his head coach in order for him to be able to do that, you know, yeah. in that type of a game. And it just shows the passion that he has, but ultimately Travis Kelsey can't do that Um, yeah. when you really think about it. I mean, your head coach has the playbook. You don't know how much that could change that game, you know, if anything else was going to change. So um, yeah, just that action that he had bumping into his head coach. I mean, if this was at a high school level, Travis Kelsey wouldn't be playing the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, No matter how much involved he is in that offense.
1: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Great perspective. Fully agree. Mm
0: -hmm. Jason Kelsey did say to his brother on that podcast, he crossed the line. I think we can can both agree on it. And Travis uh, came back with said, I did. (laughs) I can get I can't get that fired up to that point where I'm bumping coach and it's getting him off balance and stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do understand. I really do understand. But at the same time, you can't do it.
0: No. I have to remember Andy Reed is, you know, he's like, is he like, 60, well, like 65. 65. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I know. Yes. He can literally get Medicare. Travis, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, all right, Kyle, who's up next on your three down?
1: Okay, so I talked about the luckiest punt bounce ever uh, for my first point. Now we're going to go with the unluckiest injury probably ever, probably in the, in the history of this world um, as well. Dre Greenlaw, um, I don't even know what was the second quarter. He was jumping up and down on the sideline, like uh doing some high knees in place, like ready to go out there, play some defense uh for the Niners. He's jumping up and down, and as he's doing so, he begins to run out to the field. Um he tears his Achilles, and it's all caught on camera, right behind him. And the Niners. For the rest of that game, uh, had to deal with a a pair of backup linebackers um, in that game. Um, We also saw, yep, we we also saw uh, Travis Kelsey have a huge second half after the Greenlaw injury. Um, So I mean, just a lot of different factors culminating in uh, the way the game ended. But that Dre Greenlaw injury is one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's just terrible. It's awful. It should never happen to anyone. I I had no... I was shocked when I saw it. I still have no words for it.
0: Yeah, you think about how big both him and Fred Warner are. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best linebacker dudes in the NFL. And for that to happen in that type of a game, in that situation where he's just excited to go out and go go ahead and yeah, make a play for his team. Happen. Yeah, right. mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like, this world is so cruel. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Terrible. I mean, it just, you know, you can always you can always allude that to a lot of different things, whether it's the prep that goes on in the off season and the strength and conditioning. You can allude that to the field conditions, although it wasn't as bad as last year in Arizona, where everyone was slipping and sliding. Yeah. So, you know, that was really the only incident of the field where of that type of incident.
1: It's a freak accident, man. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully it gets better soon.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, for my final point of the three down, I'm going to go from one tight end to the other, and that's George Kittle's production. You know, we think about George Kittle, all pro tight end this year, and only has four reception yards on two catches. Mm -hmm. Is that really what this all pro tight end should be getting in a Super Bowl?
2: Mm -mm. Mm -mm.
0: I don't think so. I mean, you think about... The impact that he had, you know, I mean, especially going into the game, everyone said, you know, the difference of this offense wasn't just Debo Samuel, it wasn't just Brandon Ayuk, it wasn't just Christian McCaffrey, it was George Kittle. And when he gets those big games, you know, that's the difference in how these Niners um, doing a lot of these games. And so for him to have, you know, that type of performance, it wasn't... um. You know it's great, and you can you can always say you know well he's a good run blocker, but there's times when you know I think you got to get him more than just three targets in a game of that caliber.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: I mean, Jawan Jennings had five five targets. Debo Samuel had eleven on three receptions. You know, Mm. Uh, obviously Christian McCaffrey eight for eight. That's obviously coming out of the backfield. for most of them, I should say. There's times that yeah. like he lined up uh, outside. Brandon Ayuk three receptions on six targets. Uh, Kyle Uzcheck had just as many catches as as Kelsey, but for 27 more yards, including on the first play of the game. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ray Rick, Ray, Ray McLeod the third and Chris Conley each had a catch for 18 for 19 and 18 yards respectively, and yet George Kittle's here. Three targets, two receptions for just four yards.
1: Yeah, pretty mind-boggling. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though one of those led to a field goal, it's just, you know, even as the game goes on, you got to try and get him going. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it's not early, and that's a credit to the Chiefs and how they were able to get Pat uh, Kelsey going um, in that second half.
2: Mm-hmm. All
0: right, Kyle, who runs up your three down?
1: Yeah, I mentioned this earlier here, but my last point is going to be the Niners players unaware of the new yeah. overtime rules. Not only the players, the coaches, the whole front office, everyone in that whole stadium. How does one person not know? Just doesn't make sense. And it, like anyone from that organization, not one person out of the hundreds of people who work for the Niners who are involved in the game day operation in some sort of capacity knows the overtime rules. You, you really want me to believe that. I mean, it's just, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's it's, it's absolutely nuts. And not saying it's what cost them the game, but it could have played a factor. Maybe. Yeah. I I would Mm -hmm. say, um, you saw what Kyle, how Kyle Juszczyk reacted. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, a viral clip on social media came out, uh, of him right before uh, the overtime period started, he said, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. It's it's a it's a new game. I didn't know that." Mm-hmm. And then and then Mahomes and Kelsey are like, "We want them to have the ball, yeah." yeah. <laughs> so it's like that, that just tells it all right there. It tells mm-hmm. them, um, it, it's it's part of preparation. It's a part of uh, coaching. Mm-hmm. It's everything, and that's what that's what the Chiefs are, and the Niners failed in that moment uh to prepare for that
0: yeah and i think too when it comes to the analytics that comes in and this obviously this is a new new role, but even then it's like i mean you think about any sport where you where it's just pretty much that type of an opportunity you think about baseball for example you know when you're in extra innings do you want to be the team that hits first or hits last knowing what you have to do um when you're up to bat you know right. and it's kind of that basically situation. It's just like penalty kicks in soccer. You know, you want to be that team that goes second to understand what you specifically have to do. And I mean, giving Patrick Baum's the ball second in that situation. Yep. Did that go into any analytical, any of the Niners analytical minds over there as well?
1: Yep. I mean, it, yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's mm-hmm. up. so. Yep. You're totally right.
0: Yeah, I think on the Chiefs' side, I can't remember if Travis Kelsey said this on the podcast or after the game, but he said, our analytical department explained to us like three or four times Mm -hmm. in the two weeks about those overtime rules. Wow. And so it was hammered into them that, yeah, they want the ball second. Mm -hmm. And I think too, even in the coin toss, I think I saw on Twitter, it was like, you see the surprise, or the shock on Patrick Mahomes' face during that coin toss with Fred Warner of, of the Niners wanting to get the ball to start off overtime. Hmm. And then the results on comments on Twitter was like, yeah, don't want to see him at the poker table or something like that playing Texas Hold'em. Oh, yeah, Resort. definitely. <laughs> uh, especially in with that uh, Super Bowl taking place in Vegas. Yeah, no doubt, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But overall, a exciting Super Bowl coming down to the end. Just like when we saw Tom Brady come back to beat the Atlanta Falcons. Down 28-3, to come back and win that game. Uh, I think it was 35-28 or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. In overtime with a James White touchdown. Um, you know, against Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Um, just another... Uh, great Super Bowl, the first time a team has gone back-to-back since Brady did it with the Patriots in 2003-2004, so the first time that that's happened in 20 years. Hmm. All right, let's quickly get to NFL Honors because that ceremony all- took place on Thursday before the Super Bowl, Thursday, the just hours after we recorded episode 139. So we'll just go over the award recipients um, you had Lamar Jackson uh, taking home the MVP was, I think, one vote short of being unanimous. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting that other first-place vote was Josh Allen, who on that same ballot I think, had Lamar Jackson third with Dak Prescott second. <laughs> if I'm correct. Um, offensive and defensive player of the year is Christian McCaffrey and Miles Garrett from Cleveland. Uh, offensive rookie Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year both go to Houston in C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson of the Texans. Comeback Player of the Year comes from Joe Flacco of Cleveland, Coach of the Year Kevin Stefanski of Cleveland, Assistant Coach of the Year, uh, Defensive Coordinator Jim Schwartz from Cleveland, and the Walter Payton Man of the Year goes to Defensive Lineman Cameron Hayward of Pittsburgh.
1: Okay, uh, most surprising name on this list is Miles Garrett, probably winning Defensive Player of the Year. I think that could have gone to TJ Watt, probably should have. Um, you could act, you could also argue uh, Micah Parsons. You could also argue Max Crosby, but yeah, I mean, good good on him for winning that that award. Of course, I think he was deserving uh, of being one of the top four uh, of winning that award, but I really could have i uh, seen TJ Watt taking that home. Um, I think, too, what's interesting about this list here, Brevin, is the slew of Browns awards winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all real interesting to me, uh, especially um, assistant coach of the year. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that probably could have gone really anywhere else. I, I mean, when you think about it, a lot of good assistant coaches this year, Ben Johnson of the Lions could have been a good uh, candidate for that. So. Um, interesting decision there.
0: hmm Yeah, I think for me, the one that stood out was comeback player of the year. Yeah. Um, Damar Hamlin got 21 first-place votes, but with the wave of voting check out this year, with the second- and third-place votes in the totals, that's where Joe Flacco got the nod over Damar Hamlin from, uh, Buffalo.
1: Yeah, that was close.
0: Uh, Baker Mayfield was third in AP comeback player of the year category. Um... Kevin's uh, the AP Coach of the Year was actually was a no biter because, yeah. um, in the points category, Kevin Stefanski had the same number of points as Tomiko O'Brien from Houston, but because Kevin Stefanski had one more first place vote, that was a tiebreaker, twenty one wow. to twenty, and so that's how Kevin Stefanski was named Coach of the Year. Um, in terms of Defensive Player of the Year, Kyle. Max Crosby did not even garner a first-place vote. No way. Yeah,
2: uh-huh.
0: Easy. Uh 23 first-place votes to Miles Garrett, 19 for TJ Watt, Micah Parsons 7, Max Crosby 0. The others um, that got a first-place vote, the, o- the other first-place vote went to Deron Bland.
1: Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh and I'm looking at the results from Rada Madi, who is a senior AP NFL writer. So obviously that goes through the Associated Press. Um Yeah, it's pretty all pretty similar there for most of these awards here, but uh, um Pugunuku was second in AP offensive rookie of the year voting. Uh Jameer Gibbs only got four third place votes out wow. of um, all the votes. Sam Laporta got forty third place votes. Um, AP AP defense or synchro of the year. Where's the AP defensive player of the year? Defensive rookie of the year. There you go. Uh, Willie Anderson was first, 16, 21, and 8 in first, second, and third-place vote totals. Jalen Carter, 14, 14, and 10. Kobe Turner from the Rams, 14, 6, and 7 for 95 points.
1: Nice. Good for him
0: hmm Um yeah, Christian McCaffrey 39 first place votes. Pretty convincing there. Um MVP got yeah, 49 for Lamar Jackson for that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was third, Brock Purdy was fourth, Josh Allen was fifth, followed by Terry Kill and Patrick Mahomes with CJ Shroud. Following with Ma- Matthew Stafford getting a fourth, two fourth place votes, and Miles Garrett also getting one fifth place vote in the MVP category.
1: Matthew Stafford, interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. So, with that, we are going to take a quick break here, uh, talking some NFL. We're going to move on next. After the break, we're going to talk some NBA. We're going to talk some Victor Wembenyama. Who I'm pretty sure is going to be in Indiana Indianapolis for um, the All Star break and the All Rookie Team. I'm pretty sure uh, we're in All Star Weekend taking place this weekend. Um, then we're going to get into some MLB. We had plenty of news to go down this week as spring training opens up for all thirty sites. We're getting, we're having to start of full team workouts. Uh, into this weekend and into early next week so stay tuned for the second half of down the line and we hope you continue watching so stay tuned
1: Welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 140, recording the show on Friday, February 16th, just before 3 p.m. now here on the West Coast. My name is Kyle Betts, joined by Brevin Honda as we get into this week's episode. Uh, A somber start to our episode as we talked about the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade, how that was um, impacted so severely by uh, gunfire, and one person, uh, unfortunately, a, a popular local DJ, in fact, uh, from the Kansas City area, uh, was unfortunately killed in that shooting, um, 22 others as well, um, tragically injured. Um, that includes several children, including a six-year-old. Um, after investigation, that shooting appeared to be a dispute between several people. Uh, recent word, actually, uh, just coming from uh, the National Football League, um, Tom Pel- uh a reporter from, for the NFL Network, just actually reposted uh, a post on X that says the two juveniles have been charged in the mass shooting at that parade, which happened on Wednesday. And uh, in this story, which is uh, officially written by the Associated Press, um, a news release from the Jackson County Family Court said the juveniles are being detained in the county's juvenile detention center on gun-related and resisting arrest charges. The release said it is, quote, anticipated that additional charges are expected in the future as the investigation by the Kansas City Police Department continues, end quote. No further information was released. So that's the latest update from... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so in- continuing to see... Yeah. See those details come out. Absolutely.
0: Uh the Chiefs, they have launched uh Kansas City Strong, an emergency response fund supporting victims and their families. Uh violence prevention and mental health services and first responders. Um so yeah. And then there's a link to donate. Patrick Mahomes tweeted about it. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Chiefs did it as well.
1: Great to see the Chiefs doing that, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that is the latest update on the first thing that we broke down here in this episode number 140. We also got into, um, in our Fast Five, uh, news about Caitlin Clark becoming the all-time leading scorer in NCAA Division I women's basketball history. Also talked about uh, Tiger Woods, how he has uh, performed at the Genesis Invitational, and we also talked about what's been happening with that all before we broke down Super Bowl 58 with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, coming out on top over the San Francisco 49ers in overtime. We broke that down. Also, our weekly fair or foul segment. This is our last featuring the 2023-24 NFL season as we got into the Super Bowl. We also talked some NFL honors, but now we're going to get into some basketball. And uh, not, I would say, too much happening this week, Brevin. Uh, We had some... uh, Teams kind of have their schedules slow down a bit due to uh, All-Star Weekend kicking off today officially, which we'll touch on just a moment. Uh, But leading up to that, um, we did have a couple standout moments. But one big one that I do want to talk about here is uh, Victor Wenbanyama. And Brevin, this was a huge performance from him on Monday. Uh, The Spurs Center became the first player since Hawks Center, Clint Capella, in 2021 to record a triple double featuring blocks, Wenyama in this game posted 27 points, 14 rebounds, 10 blocks, 5 assists, and 2 steals in just 29 minutes in a 122 to 99 victory over the Toronto Raptors. Brevin uh, Wemby is really starting to blossom now in the league. What did you make of uh, that? Fact there and, and sort of that, that stat line as well.
0: Yeah, to add on to that too, you mentioned Clint Capella last time that that's happened. Um, yeah, first time that that's happened in three years just tells you how rare it is to defend as that well at a high level. Um, it, well, obviously, it helps that he's like seven foot five or whatever it is <laughs> um, as well. And I mean, last three players with a 25 10, five and 10 block game included two Hall of Famers in David Robertson, David Robinson, Kim Olajuwon, and then Victor Benvenyama. Those are the only players to do that in over 40 years. So it just speaks to how well that these players can score at a high level and as well as defend at a high level, both in terms of shot blocking and rebound at the same time.
1: 100% Brevin, well said. Victor Wembanyama will be at All-Star Weekend. I believe he is going to be participating in, I think, the Rising Stars game. Uh, I'm trying to uh, confirm that right now. He is. He's going to be in the Rising Star game as well as the skill contest. So we're going to see Wembenyama plenty of times here during All-Star Weekend. But, uh mm-hmm. besides him Bremen, a lot going on. Obviously, I believe in about an hour from now, we're gonna have the celebrity game be played, yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh any, any coaches words? yeah, any... The two coaches for that game? okay. is uh
0: Shannon Sharp on one side <gasps> and Stephen A. Smith on the other? No
1: way, okay.
0: I wonder, and- how ma- I wonder how many. I wonder how many teas they're going to allow before ejections are happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask any word on the rosters, like any big stand. Yeah, uh,
0: let's see. Well, let's see the rosters for the coaches. Um. Uh, the assistant coach with Shane and Sharp is Fifty Cent. So Curtis Jackson. Uh, the two assistant coaches for Stephen A. Smith include uh, Little Wayne and Asia Wilson. Oh my. Um, Asia Wilson not playing. She's got two rings, Kyle. She's got back to back rings. I don't think that That's would be fair enough. enough. That's fair. I mean, yeah. you That's want fair. her to be backing into somebody like Puka Nakua or Micah Parsons <laughs> in the
1: post? That's fair. They, they got to keep it, they got to keep it, uh, within the level playing field. So, I, yeah, uh
0: huh. So, That's you fair. got Puka Nakua <laughs> playing, Micah Parsons playing, okay, uh, on Team Shannon for Team Stephen A. You've got uh, C.G. Stroud. He was playing in the Astros Celebrity Softball game yesterday. Yeah. Now he's in Indianapolis playing in the All-Star Celebrity game.
1: He's just well, getting- I mean,
0: he practices everything before games anyway. He's doing baseball swings. He's got basketball in his hands anyway, so.
1: He's just getting his cardio in for the week. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. Celebrity games.
0: Yeah. Uh, also on Team Stephen A, you've got Meta World Peace. Um, Jack Ryan, Natasha Cloud, Nicole Hardman. So after scoring the game-winning touchdown, now I'm going to go play basketball and go see if he can go win another ring there. <laughs> um, Jennifer Hudson's playing as well. Maybe she'll sing her way to the basket. I don't know.
2: Yeah. So just
0: hit those high notes and just make everyone deaf so they can't, their opponents deaf so they can't hear anything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Joel Lloyd's gonna be playing for team shannon. um uh, yeah, definitely a lot of uh celebrities there, and that kicks off at four p m Pacific time here uh just within the next
1: hour. yeah, we're looking forward to that. It's gonna be a pretty good game, I think, a lot of big names that mm-hmm. you mentioned there, Brevin, and yeah. among
0: the broadcast team. Uh, Cassidy Hubbard this this will be on ESPN so Cassidy Hubbard will be the host uh, for the broadcast and the MVP presentation Ryan Rucco is going to provide play-by-play and then analysts Monica McNutt and Richard Jefferson and Pat McAfee is going to make a special appearance it's a celebrity game how
1: <laughs> oh well it makes sense actually because yeah. it's in Indianapolis and that's where he is so mm-hmm. it makes sense
0: uh, let's see. Yeah, Grammy Award recording artists also competing in this game. AJ McLean, Walker Hayes, and Sir Grammy Award nominated musician Adam Blackstone, Emmy Award Emmy Award winning entertainer Lily Singh, actors Daniel Dylan Wang and Quincy Isaiah. Yeah, plenty of both stars, both in content creation, entertainers, athletes. They're all competing. It's just like. The MLB's All Star Celebrity Softball Game held in July.
1: Yeah, definitely. I know Sir, he's he's a good
0: Seattle Storm All Star, Joel Lloyd, uh, and Natasha Cloud will also be playing. Hmm. And then too, we get to see this. Will be the first time we get to see that new LED court as well. Yeah. Um, for for this All Star Week festivities,
1: I am excited to see that.
0: Uh, also tonight, uh, among the events we got the Rising Stars tonight. Oh okay. Um, got um, HBCU class HBCU Classic, the uh, State Farm All Star Saturday Night, the Kia Skills Challenge, uh, three point contest, Steph versus Sabrina, uh, AT&T, the Sam Dunk Contest. I'm pretty sure it's going to go in that order, and then. On Sunday, you're going to get the G League up next game and then uh, concluding it all with the All-Star game.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. All taking place in Indianapolis. Hosted by the Indiana Pacers. It's
1: going to be good, uh, I think, just weekend all together really i mean all these events have so many stars participating and we're going to see a lot of celebrities there as well attending so yeah it's going to be going to be a great weekend
2: mhm yeah
1: all right we're going to move on to major league baseball now switching gears and some news coming yesterday being thursday the 15th Uh, Major League Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that his tenure will end in January of 2029. So, Brevin, five more years left in his tenure, uh, and Manfred uh, appears that he will not be returning thereafter. According to John Morosi, Manfred wants to have the expansion process of 32 teams in place, but not necessarily rewarded. So, Brevin, this has been... Uh, a tenure marked by uh, several different um, changes. I mentioned, you know, uh, the expansion of the league to 32 teams potentially here. Uh, one thing that happened under Manfred was the expanded playoffs. Um, another thing that happened was the implementation of the pitch clock. Other rules have been altered uh, since thereafter. Um, one uh, large marking part of his tenure, though, Brevin, obviously the Houston Astros, um what happened with that as well. Um, but still, like I mentioned, five years left uh, with Rob Manfred remaining the MLB commissioner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You add in the universal DH as well. Part of that um, with pitchers, not needing to hit anymore in the national league to continue to get to that universal schedule that we're at now with all 30 teams playing against each other every single year. Um, rather than just once every four or five years, depending on that rotation. Um. So yeah, there's been obviously some good, some bad to obviously, and that's going to come with that position. Not everyone's going to have the same ideas that he has. You know, both from looking from his side, looking from an opposite perspective. Um, to do it, you know, he understands that you know he can't have this job forever, though. At the same time, and so now in the next five years, it's going to be getting that next person to take that spot. And so it's going to be interesting who it's going to be, Um, you know, and we'll definitely hear that within the next probably three to four years, um, who that next commissioner is going to be and what those next steps are to help this game of baseball continue to evolve and continue to improve as the years continue um, year by year.
1: Yeah. Well said, I think, man, Fred, he, he gave this quote. He said, I'm 65 years old. Like yeah. I want to have fun with my life or something mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you, you just nailed it when, when you said, you know, there there's always positives and negatives that come with a job in this position. We see it with every commissioner in yeah. pros, major sports, pro sports when you really think about it. So, um, it's never an easy job, but um, like like you said, there, there's still time left in his tenure. So despite what's happened in the past, we, he still has something to look forward to, and so do we as, as baseball fans.
0: Mm-hmm. Remember, 2026 is that big year where the collective bargaining agreement comes to an end, so that'll be uh, probably one of the big things that come into play in addition to the 32 teams. You know, obviously now with... Show Hayotani's contract and deferral money of if, if that's going to affect the new CBA in a couple of years, you know all these different things that has that opportunity to affect. You know, as we're two years away, add in uh, the fact that you know Rob Manfred, you know, unlike some of the past commissioners of of like a Bud Selig didn't have to go through a pandemic and had to get through this entire uh, entire baseball world with. Uh, the pandemic and on top of that, going through the CBA negotiations during that time as well in 2021. So definitely a lot that gone through, especially over the last four years um, to this point.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Some news on Tuesday of this week, we had uh, reports that NBC Sports California is uh, welcoming Jenny Kavnar as the Oakland A's play-by-play announcer. And with that, she's becoming the first female primary play-by-play announcer in MLB history. So um, not only a big move here for Kavnar personally, but a historic one as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jenny Kavnar, I think she started here. She started in San Diego. She was doing Channel 4. So with like Mark Grant, you know, this was before... Fox and things like that before the Padres were had all these TV deals. You know, this is 2000, like four or five. You know, and now she's, I think she grew up in Colorado too. She was doing some Rocky games last year, and um, has been doing a lot of the Colorado State and the Colorado area college basketball games on Fox Sports One. It's a blade. She did ASX Colorado State men's basketball a couple of weeks ago, and at Fort Collins. So I think she also did. ASEX New Mexico at the pit. Um huh. also a couple of weeks ago too. So you Honestly, know, she's got that understanding of West Coast sports. And, you know, she has that in there. Um you know, and obviously being with the Padres, you know, a good amount of years ago, you know, she's had those times, you know, playing the Giants and things like that, and those connections there that lead to the A's, so plenty of um experience. Uh, definitely well-deserved for Jenny Kavanagh.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Brevin. And when you think about it, it's it's all about, you know, taking a step forward. And that's all Jenny Kavanagh has done. And when you think about being a play-by-play person, it's impressive when you can be versatile with it, like you said, uh, with Kavanagh being able to commentate over college basketball one day and then Major League Baseball the next. I say not only that, but I think just itself, being able to call a baseball game in general is already difficult enough. And she's already shown so much talent in her career thus far that she's absolutely earned this. So Mm -hmm. it's great to see.
0: Yeah. And you think about too, is, you know, is this ACE team's transition, you know, if they go to Las Vegas, you know, they get to bring that new fresh voice with them. you know and depending however long this contract goes you know because you know they'll still be broadcasting A's games in Oakland and the Bay Area you yeah. know even as this team goes to Las Vegas you know and even to that Las Vegas region you know there's a good TV network you know and there's a good deal in place you know she could easily continue being the A's you know as long as she's in that position um by the time the A's are there in maybe four years you know and whether she's doing A's games in Sacramento, as it was reported earlier today, that uh, Sacramento was a frontrunner to to be the site for the Oakland A's for three years until that ballpark gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be, I think that would be the site of the Sacramento Rivercats, which is, I think, the AAA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants as well. So, I'm pretty sure. So, um. Yeah, so plenty of A's news this week with both on the field and off the field as the lease for the use of the Coliseum for the A's ends in 2024, so ending the season.
1: Sad to think that that's actually a reality, Revan, for Mm -hmm.
0: sure.
1: Yeah. All right, let's move on to the latest in spring training here in uh, major league baseball we had team workouts starting in Arizona and Florida this week um Brevin what do you know so far about uh pitchers and catchers uh reporting
0: Yeah there's unfortunately been some injuries to start here which um which is expected you know um unfortunately uh Kyle Bradish from the Baltimore Orioles has a torn UCL, so I think he's going to be shut down he might get Obviously, he's not going to be ready for opening day now, so um, it'd be tough for him and the Orioles to kind of take a step back from and how good they've been trending. But luckily, that's why you get those pitchers that you've gotten. Um, you know, whether it's Jack Flirty at the deadline last year, you know, and some of their pitchers that they signed. The carbon burn straight obviously helps a lot now. It means that much more important um, with an injury like that. You know, players and. We mentioned pitchers and catchers. We're starting to get full team workouts this week as well. So every every all thirty teams are gonna have um positions that are gonna be up for grabs throughout the rosters, whether it's bench spots, whether it's uh to be the designated hitter in in the everyday lineup, final spots in the rotation, uh outfield spots, all those are gonna be up for grabs across all thirty teams.
1: Absolutely, and as teams prepare, we know the Padres and Dodgers, uh, the first two teams to even do anything when it comes to spring training preparation um, as they are going to begin the season overseas. But um, one thing that we have seen coming from the Dodgers camp this week was a social media post uh, of a video of Shohei Otani. And this post, Brevin, went a little bit viral uh, just because it was showing off his pure ability to mash home runs in a batting practice session. And you feel like you could just watch it for days on end.
0: I wish you could do that at Petco Park. I'd love that in right field. But Shohei Otani, this was how he broke the internet. Took 21 swings. Ten of them went over the fence for homers. So just under 50%.
1: So just imagine him in the home run derby.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. Well, we've seen that before. Home run derby. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he'll hit 455 foot taters to left center and be like, "Really? Are you serious? Does he really have that much power? Yeah, like he, he did last year in Texas?"
1: Right. Yep. I'm I'm excited to see what he does this year. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hopefully, hopefully not against the Padres.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, not in Korea. He just takes those two days off to still get ready for the year. Yeah. Okay, we'll just have Tom Cosgrove pitch every single time against him, and exactly. he'll just go down slider, 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 swing, 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 and miss.
2: You'll be good. Yeah. Go
0: good. 0 for 10 against Tom Cosgrove and the Pockies.
1: <laughs> That's <horrible>. a <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's get to uh, some transactions here. Uh, This was uh, a deal that actually came out about two hours ago, just before we started recording this, in fact. Um, It it appeared on our phones. Utility guy, second baseman, outfielder, whatever you characterize him as, uh, Whit Merrifield, uh, he's been around the league now for quite some time. Now the veteran's signing a one-year, $8 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies, that deal was announced just before one thirty on the West Coast this afternoon.
0: Yeah, he'll provide that outfield depth, some infield depth up the at second base as well, and um, yeah, definitely uh, uh, just one of those depth pieces. Um, are now approaching, you know, his late thirties um, for him to reach that point, so definitely an opportunity for him definitely goes to a contender uh like where he was at in Toronto remains on the east Coast um doesn't necessarily need his passport now for half the season um but you have to remember this is a durable guy you know we have to remember he had like um a consecutive game streak playing that was like 400 or something like that and in right. today's world of Major League Baseball, it's completely unheard of. And especially at the time when he was doing that, you know, because of how much rest players need, especially fielders and hitters. You know, it wasn't like the days when Cal Ripken broke Lou Gehrig's record, where he was playing 2,132 times, you know, every single day of every single year. So, yeah. you know, the durability is definitely there uh, for what Maryfield.
1: 100%. Great player, lots of experience and. He's definitely won a lot in his career as well. All right. We are now six Fridays away from opening day. That's set to begin on Thursday, March 28th. Uh, We are going to now preview the National League Western Division as our first division preview as a part of our uh, sort of uh, preseason Uh, kind of a breakdown that we do each and every year, uh, Brevin, uh, before the season gets going. We're going to break down each and every division here this year as well. But like I said before, we're going to start today with the NOS. And let's begin with some transactions and also the latest news coming out of uh, this week. So let's start here with Tuesday. We had a report that the Padres are signing jerks and profar the deal great value for a player of his caliber and a guy uh who is loved by san diegans one year one million dollars uh as he uh returns to the padres here brevin what do you think of this deal
0: yeah the padres are need that outfield depth but they do it a kind of a you know within their budget of what they're trying to do i mean one year, one million dollars. It doesn't speak a lot. I mean, we think about last year Nelson Cruz signed for that much, and then was DFA by June. You know, in July. So, hopefully, it doesn't end like that. You're hoping that the the charisma that Jerkson provides to the locker room and the clubhouse, you know, is strong. You know, when he came back in September of last year, I think the Potters You know, that's when the Padres started to go, and they went like fourteen and four, or something like that, to finish off the season. Or it was like sixteen and two. Um, or something like that. So if they can, you know, just having him around, you know, because, you know, even when he's here before, when he first came around, you know, he had that opportunity and had that, you know, was part of that success, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago. And so, you know, he can provide that positivity in the clubhouse that could translate to the field. So, um, you have to remember, you know, when he opted out, you know, he opted out for seven 14, technically 14 million over two years. Uh, which would have ended, I think, this past winter. And wow. so, and he goes to Colorado, doesn't have the best of years, and so now it has to settle for $1 million where he could be at $14 million. So, So, um, yeah, it's difficult, but it's the understanding that you take as a player, knowing that this is still a championship-caliber team. 100%.
1: We also had news on Tuesday. It was also reported that the San Francisco Giants signed Jorge Soler three years to a contract worth $42 million. So Soler is a guy with uh, a lot of power in his bat. And uh, he is a pretty nice pickup for this Giants lineup here, Brevin.
0: Yeah, it pretty much solidifies that outfield when you really think about it. You know, you're going to have Jung Ho Lee in center field, you're going to have Jorge Soler in left, and you're going to have Mike Yastrzemski in right field, you know, for the most part, as you're starting outfield. So, um, definitely a guy with a lot of power, even though this, I don't think this Giants team has had a 30 homer season in at least 10 years, I think it is, or even eight, you know, Mm -hmm. just because of how difficult it is to hit, hit at Oracle Park, you know, with, the ocean breeze coming in. The winds are swirling, you know, especially for a right-handed hitter. You know, when you're, you know, 400 to left center, it's a lot different there than it is at, you know, let's say Washington or even Colorado, you know, where you and you could even put Seattle even in that mix, you know, because of the hitter ballparks and the hitter-friendly parks. You know, San Francisco is a hard place to hit because of the wind, that takes into play and, you know, add in in right field to get all those quirky areas um, and those weird angles and cutouts with the walls and the brick. So those will be um, a challenge, but I think Jorge Soler can be up to that task. Luckily, he's hitting right-handed. So most of those home runs will be going to left field.
1: 100%. Great deal there. All right, we're going to move on to some team specifics here, and let's start here with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course, we already talked about Shohei Otani and what he gives to that team, as we have in previous episodes here on Down the Line. But uh, one big thing to watch here for the Dodgers is uh, now uh, they're the team to beat in the division, of course, after everything that they've done, spending all the money with Otani, Yamamoto, uh, Glasnell Glasnow uh, included in that list as well. Um, but Brevin, the real question here is, how will all the pieces gel on the actual diamond? And how can the starting rotation stay afloat and kind of avoid injury as we have seen uh, at times in these past couple years?
0: Yeah, I think the key thing, it's just like every other team, throw a baseball. You know it's going to be that pitching. You know the Dodgers have the depth to do it, but it's a matter of how much they're going to be able to have that. You know you got Yoshinobu Yamamoto, you got Tyler Glasnow, Bobby Miller. You know you get James Paxton, uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's going to be hurt to start the year. Emmett Sheehan, uh, Ryan Yarbrough. You got at least a good seven, eight starters, but it's a matter of the longevity that these players can pitch. You know, for Tyler Glasnow hasn't pitched more than 130 innings in a season. Um, you know, Yash- Yoshinobu Yamamoto is still gonna have to make that adjustment to Major League Baseball, and so there's a lot of question marks on this team. It's not like in years past where you got that experience, um, within this rotation, you know, and you add in Tyler Gauze now. As much as you can say there's similarities between the American League East and the National League West, there's still plenty of differences. You know, you think about the ballparks, you know, you got you got course field, you get your pitcher's parks, you know. At, Oracle Park at Petco, you've got Chase Field, you know, and so there's going to be a lot of adjustment for really a lot of question marks among the starting rotation. You know, there's a lot of it, but it's a lot of positive question marks. Like there's high expectations, but you don't know what you're going to get out of it.
1: 100%. I mean, that's the risk that you kind of take when you unload the bag, the way that the Dodgers did mm-hmm. this- season because uh I think, you know, just the financial aspect itself, uh pretty unbelievable. Otani with that deferred deal, um a lot of thoughts on that as well. But um the Dodgers with such high expectations, like you said, Revin, for sure.
0: It's not like, you know, in years past with the Dodgers where you've got, you know, like Hunjin Ryu, Clayton a healthy Clayton Kershaw, Zach Granke, you Darvish, you know, you don't have that type of major league experience you know, going to last year. You know, yeah. Sheehan, year number two. Uh, Gavin Stone year number two. You know, so, and then you know, bo- uh, with, um, Bobby Miller. You know, year number two, I believe. Walker Bueller still coming back from Tommy John. We don't know, what his uh expectations and his, uh, how well he's going to do this year either.
1: 100%. All right. Let's move on now to the San Francisco Giants. And we kind of talked about uh, these additions a little bit earlier here, Brevin, but the main point here for the Giants is what they've been able to uh, do in terms of adding to their lineup. So how does bringing in outfielders Jung Ho Lee and Jorge Soler, as well as Bob Melvin coming from San Diego, kind of change things in 2024? How do you think that's possible through these new additions?
0: Yeah, I think definitely more experience and nothing against Gabe Kapler, but you, you get more of that experience, you know, Bob, not just from a managing perspective, but from a life perspective as well. Bob Melvin from the Bay Area, you know, knows this giant, has grown up, you know, rooting for the Giants and was with the A, managing with the A's, where he went three manager of the years. I think the key thing, though, as we talk about this outfield, you know, it's not just Jung Ho Lee and Mike Shepsky and... Uh, you have Austin Slater in that mix as well, but I think, you know, the the question last year for this Giants team, you know, was it the catcher's position? You know, we, we all thought two years ago, or even three years ago, we thought Joey Bart was just going to be able to be just that similar puzzle to that piece, to be that similar piece of the puzzle, like a Buster Posey and just fit in nicely. But now last year you had Patrick Bailey yeah. coming into that mix. And now with the signing of, Tom Murphy, you have three catchers. And so with, with Joey Barton, that mix as well. So that'd be, I think the key thing to watch and how these young catchers, you know, continue to work with this rotation, you know, in year number two, because it'd be uh, even that rotation, you know, you think about having, um, having Logan Webb at the top, but then, you know, you're going to have, you know, as much as, you know, we talked about Robbie Ray coming into that rotation you know, he's still going to be hurt for half the year. So you're hoping that, you know, this rotation behind Logan Webb continues to come together. You know, Kyle Harrison, Keaton Huin, Jordan, you know, you really only have one for sure starting pitcher in this rotation um as we speak here, you know, when you really think about it. And so I think it puts that much more uh, reliance on that bullpen, especially on the days where they have to do a bullpen day. You know, as you get to your fourth and fifth days within that rotation, you know, whether it's and how you piece it together to get to Camilo Doval.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, let's move on to the San Diego Padres. And I know you've been waiting on talking about them here. Um, we had some news earlier today from a manager, Mike Schill. He announced that Xander Bogarts will play second base. Ha Songkin Kim will play shortstop this upcoming season. Revan, is this a surprise to you at all, or wh- wh- what's your what's your thoughts on this?
0: The way that it's a surprise is that we didn't know when it was going to come. Uh-huh. You know, everyone in this there were rumors during the offseason saying that Daniel Bogarts was just going to move to first base, and it was like, why would he move to first base? He's been playing shortstop, you know. And so, I mean, you understand the move because you think about all the shortstop type of talent this Padres team ha- has had, you know, Manny Machado, Hassan Kim, Xander's easily in that makes Jake Cronenworth, Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, that list goes on and on. I mean, Joe Musgrove could even probably want to play shortstop if he wanted to with his athleticism, you know. Yeah. And so having that type of ability on top of Jackson Merrill when they're top prospects, you know, that's, you know, not, I think that team mentality that the leaders have on this team from – Manny playing third base, you know, coming to San Diego and knowing that, you know, when Manny came to San Diego, you know, Fernando was already in this um farm system. And so he he was he was that teammate where he said, Okay, I know this kid's coming in, so I'm gonna go ahead and continue playing third base. You know, you had Hassan Kim, you know, wins a gold glove in the KBO, you know, continues to adjust to during during his time in the MLB. You know, has a gold glove uh, at the utility position. You know, and away from shortstop. You know, you we mentioned Fernando Tatis Jr. goes from shortstop and right field, and what's he doing his first year? Doesn't just win a gold glove, but wins the platinum glove. So that just speaks to the volume and the moves around Xander Bogarts in terms of the ability of how important shortstop is, not just at that position, but throughout the diamond. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Cronenworth has two gold gloves, or not two gold, two all-star appearance because of his play at second base where you, you know, he can play shortstop as yeah. well. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Big thing to watch here for the Padres, Brevin, um, you mentioned the versatility here within this roster, but still some pieces left. Um, the biggest thing to watch is how the roster, the, including the rotation, uh, that's a big spot, as well as the outfield. How that all is uh, kind of sorted out, whether it, it's through free agency trade or even through prospects, top prospect Jackson Merrill could be an option potentially there. Um, but the team definitely has a big decision here to make, um, or decisions, I should say, when it comes to um, the roster and, and still uh, how, how they need to really just fill it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It really feels, you know, right now here it's you know, we're still a month away from Korea, so a lot can change between now and then. You know, as we get towards that point. But you figure Joe Musgrove, Feud Arvish, Michael King, those are gonna be your one, two, three. So it's really a a battle for those two final spots, you know, who's gonna start. Um maybe when you really think about it, that Friday and Saturday or you know even you know in that second weekend in that second series, um, after playing the Giants, you know, um, on for sure that opening weekend after the week after playing the Dodgers, you know, is it going to be Randy Vasquez? Um, uh, you know, the the young guys that are here, um, you know, Drew Thorpe, you know, is it going to be the knuckleballer Matt Waldron that you know solidifies that number five spot? You know, is it Jay Groom who the Padres got? You know. It, uh, from from uh Boston is it going to be um the return of um within their with Luis Petino who is once the Padres one of the Padres top pitching prospects who they traded for to get Blake Snell a few years ago um you know there's so many options that this Padres team has you know and yet there's still pieces on the market like a Blake Snell that the Padres could go after if they wanted to so I think as the spring goes along, you're going to see those, you know, especially in the rotation. I would assume within the bullpen, you know, most of the bullpen, you know, it's good enough set with the pieces that you got. You know, you got Robert Suarez, Yuki Matsui, we set go. You know, those three will be the ones that are most likely pitching seven, eight, nine. You know, Wendy Peralta, you know, he could easily be that Nick Martinez type of pitcher that can go from pitching, you know, in the bullpen to starting, you know, be that swing guy. You know, you get Tom Cosgrove, lefty-lefty, like you talked about, going up against Shohei Otani. Luis Patino returns, like I mentioned. You know, you're going to have – this is going to be a bullpen that's going to have 15, 20 eyes as we go through um, as this season goes along. You know, do we see Michael King in the bullpen, you know, at some point? Glenn Otto, who the Padres got in late September, you know. And so this team goes on and on. You still got Steven Wilson. You know, you still got uh, Alec Jacob, Johnny Brito. You know, is another piece that the Padres got in that one. So deal. So plenty of names here um, that that have opportunity, and it's going to be like you, like any team in spring in spring training. There's going to be competition.
1: Hundred percent. Well said. And yeah, a lot of, of decisions remain to be seen from the Padres, as you said. It were a month away. Uh, give or take here um, from uh, their first series of the season.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's move on now to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the big question here for them is, can they go even further than they did last year, being the National League champions, reaching the World Series, but ultimately falling to the Texas Rangers? Do you think it's possible to win it all next season, Brevin? If you're asking me, I think you refer to uh, Lions head Detroit Lions head coach Dan Campbell. It's going to be that much harder to get back here next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and two, and as you watch the Lions play, it kind of felt like this is how the Diamondbacks really were last season. You know, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna gamble a lot. You know, they're gonna run a lot of bases. You know, they might not have that power type of a. You know, they're not going to be like a a Big Twelve offense where they're just going to go after home run after home run. You know, like fifth yard touchdown after 80-yard touchdown you know this team you know they've got ways to play you know Torrey Lavella knows this team you know that's why you signed that new contract extension they still got guys coming up through this farm system you know a Jordan Lawler for example that could be a, a big piece to you know up the middle of that church stop position you know with Gerardo Perdomo you know you've got a Eugenio Suarez and you've got uh Eduardo Rodriguez is in this mix now with this to add to that starting pitching duo um of Merrill Kelly and uh um Zach Allen. Zach Allen, you know, was top six in uh Cy Young voting last year. So, you know, you got three really, you know, a top three, you know, just like most of these contending NLS teams do, you know, with the Dodgers and the Padres. You know, Brain and Fought, you know, pitched well, you know, throughout the postseason, you know, and his four or five innings of work. You know, is he able to have that success to be extended to six or seven? You know, those are gonna be um, you know, just how to expand and that success of that starting rotation, you know, Ryan Nelson as well. Um, you know, do it, they even go out and get another starting pitcher. You know, that could even be in the fold for them, you know, Paul Seaball, um, gonna be their closer. Kevin Ginkle if he's healthy. You know, the bullpen is still good enough. You know, Joe Mans was an all-star last year uh, out of the left side. So there's opportunity there, too, for this D-Bike team It's you know, just being able to, you know, be able to take it one game at a time and not necessarily be a team like the Vikings who go from 13-4 and four to, uh, you know, not make the
1: playoffs. Absolutely. The uh, team most likely to finish last in the division, unfortunately, the Colorado Rockies. And for them, um, they're a team just looking to get better here. And so Mm -hmm. with that in mind, Brevin, how do they continue to improve as the season progresses with some young talent like Brenton Doyle um, kind of leading that charge?
0: Yeah, luckily you still got those veteran pieces on this team. And like Chris Bryant and Charlie Blackman. You can tell, like, you know, with fan graphs, their projected standings, that you get the Dodgers, the D-backs, the Padres, and the Giants all separated by 12 games, and then you get the Rockies down at 64 and 100 and, and 64 and 98. And so with the Rockies, you know, it's the... Um, with the Rockies, it's more of just part of that, how does that depth continue to build within this organization? That's going to be the key thing for... This Colorado team here, um, in 2024. You mentioned Brenton Doyle and the impact that he has, you know, in center field. You know, made some phenomenal plays too, um, in center field. You know, you've got still got Ryan McMahon there, Elias Diaz. Remember, he was the All Star Game MVP yep. uh, last year in Seattle. Um, Chris Bryant. You know, it's still Chris Bryant as long as he's healthy. You know, he can still. Has success, you remember, it is course field for that matter. So 81 of those games, you know, he's going to be, get to play in a hitter-friendly ballpark. You know, you see get Brendan Rodgers. You know, if he's healthy for an entire year, remember he was limited because of his injury in spring training. Alan Trejo's there, the former Aztec. Uh, Ezekiel Tovar, another young um, piece, you know, that had success last year. Ryan McMahon at third base has been a Gold Glove candidate over the years. Um, yeah, there's options. Nolan Jones has that power, you know, right at the, bright the heart of the lineup. So, and with the way that Bud Black coaches these teams, you know, he knows that he's a coach is type of a coach where he's gonna mentor players, you know, no matter, you know, it's not just the expectations of winning a World Series. Yeah, every single year, you know, you got to be realistic with where your team's at in the pieces that you have, you know, you know, it's one thing to be like the Diamondbacks where you're like, okay, you know, we might have a chance for this good, but with Rockies, you know, they understand that they don't have those type of pieces. You know, there's some pieces, but it's not enough where it can be like a 2007 where you get to the World Series. And so it would be a key thing to watch, you know, for this Rockies team. You know, how much Charlie Blackman plays, you know, as he enters his mid-30s and late-30s, like we talked about with Whit Merrifield. Um... You know, even that rotation, you know, you're going to get Kyle Freeland, I'm pretty sure. You know, both of them are, both him and Austin Gumber are hurt. You know, outside of that, you get Dakota Hudson, Kyle Quantrill, Ryan Feltner, Peter Lambert. Hermon Marquez is still hurt, so, um, yeah, we'll see how this Rockies team shapes up. And Justin Lawrence, it looks like he'll be the guy to be the closer, you know, on most nights. You know, especially now with Daniel Bard, you know, a torn meniscus from what we heard earlier this week, so... Uh, we'll see how that goes for, uh, this Rockies team. Will they definitely be a team that does not give up? For sure. Because Block doesn't want players that are just going to be given up.
1: Uh-huh. 100%. All right. We're going to move on here, and we're going to do some trivia. And Brevin is on the block today, and we're going to be doing nothing except the classic macula Grid. So with I that have not being seen said, today's Immaculate Grid. Yep. Yeah, with that being said, I'm going to pull up right now on my screen. I'm sharing right now. Once again, today, Friday, February 16th, 2024. We're doing the Immaculate Grid here of the day. And this looks to be kind of a tougher one, Brevin, potentially. Yep. Um, we have uh, majority teams on here. Um so, on the left side here of this immaculate grid, going from top to bottom on the left side, we have the Miami Marlins, the Atlanta Braves, and a player with a 30-plus stolen base season. Okay. On the top, going from left to right, we have the Boston Red Sox, Detroit Lions, and a player who's played left field at least once in their career. I like that one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um. Alright, we'll just start here at left to right. Um, Marlins, Red Sox. We'll go a left-handed reliever, here, Kyle. We're going to go Richard Blyer. Wow. Richard Blyer. How many percent does that get? One percent. There you go. Wow. Right. Do I go Miguel Cabrera here with Marlins and Tigers or do I come back and find somebody else? Uh, I'm gonna come back and find somebody else. Um, I'll go Red Sox. Uh, and Braves here. Somebody you don't think played for both teams? Matt Kemp, right? Did Matt Kemp? Oh no, 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 no! no. I'm gonna come back, take back that, take that back. He did not play for the Red Sox. I don't believe he did. Um, Marlins left fielder. Well, We just talked about him. We'll go Jorge Soler.
1: Jorge Soler. Eleven percent.
0: Yeah. Um, go Braves left field. We'll go, uh, Eddie Rosario.
1: Eddie Rosario. Seven percent.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see this Tigers. Did Cameron Maven have a 30 stolen base season? Can't mm-hmm. remember if he did. And the Red Sox. Oh god, how many Red Sox have stolen bases to that level? Okay. Those are the three. Um Oh, Red Sox Braves. We'll go Kenley Jansen.
1: Sounds good to me. Kenley that's him. Hanson.
0: 8%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to... I doubt that can't play for the Red Sox. I knew he was at the Braves. Yeah, no, he was in Cincinnati. He wasn't in Boston. Um. All right, now Boston, 30, still on base. Did Jackie Bradley get there? I know Xander didn't get there. Um and I need a left fielder minimum one game who's had a I'm just going to go Ricky Henderson for a left fielder with 30 solid base season.
1: Ricky Henderson 21 percent
0: Yeah. Mhm. Outfielder. What, since we got one Hall of Famer, let's just go with the other. We'll just go be Okabara for a Tiger and a Marlin.
1: Tiger and Marlin. Miguel. 55%. 45%. 45, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. That's enough.
0: Yeah. Um. No, Angelta Simmons isn't playing Detroit. Um. I no, Did Ian Kinsler have... No, I don't think Ian Kinsler had 30 stolen bases in this season. Uh, so I need Tigers and Braves. I need a, a Tigers 30 stolen base season. And I need a Red Sox 30 stolen base season. Mm. I'm thinking about Dustin Bedroya. What do you mean? Again, did he still 30 bases in the season? I'll go Jackie Bradley Jr. for a 30 stolen base season at a Red Sox uniform. That sounds like he would do it. Please tell me.
1: Bradley Jr. Oh. Not correct.
0: Okay. Um, all right then. Well move on then. Um Braves and Tigers. Oh no, he hasn't pitched. No, never mind. I was gonna say Chris Sale, but that hasn't happened yet. Once we, once he pitches, then that'll work uh, for that square. Um, let's see, two guesses left: Tigers thirty stolen base season, Red Sox thirty stolen base season, and a Reds and a Tiger and a Brave. I feel like there's... Mm. You know what? We'll just knock out Edwin Jackson, the Immaculate Grid fallback. Edwin Jackson.
1: Edwin Jackson, Tiger, and Brave. Yeah, play for both teams. 5%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: One guess to get a 30 stolen base player for the Tigers between the Tigers or the Red Sox. I don't, know. I don't think Justin Pedroia got there. Oh, how did I get this sooner? Red Sox 30 stolen base season. Current Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts. Should be there. To 2008. No, he didn't have three stolen bases in the season either.
1: Oh. But, uh, I was going to say Mookie. Mookie, okay. Josh Beckett was the most selected for Marlins and yeah, it Fox. Yeah, makes sense. Oh my gosh.
0: Josh Beckett. and yeah, Yelich. I was thinking about Marcelo Zuna for that left field spot. Doyle Alexander. Okay, Ty Cobb. Okay. And Ricky Henderson. Okay, not too bad.
1: Yeah, not bad at all, actually.
0: Just wait till we get a couple more years into this stolen base uh, power now, you know? Mm Hmm. I was part of the thirty-five percent who did not get a Red Sox stolen base. Yeah, me. <laughs> Uh, Tiger Woods withdrew from the Genesis Invitational due to food-like symptoms. Uh, started last night. I woke up this morning. They were worse than the previous. Um, a little bit of fever was better during warmups. Uh, feeling a little dizzy. Uh, maybe dehydrated, He's been treated with an IV bag, gives you much better. So it's just probably just a lack of fluids for Tiger Woods.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, not Um, good, not good if you're dealing with flu-like uh, symptoms.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, nothing phys- Uh, The withdrawal was nothing, not related to any physical condition. so nothing with the back, nothing with the ankle. Um, it was all just dehydration for Tiger Woods. Ooh. Well that's good to know. Yeah, I gotta remember whenever you're playing on the course, drink drink your fluids, PD light, Gatorade, water.
1: Honestly, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> it's no <laughs> joke.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, That's going to do it here for episode number 140 on Down the Line. As you just heard, we just wrapped things up with some trivia and Brevin Honda going ahead and uh, getting eight out of nine on today's Immaculate Grid. Great job, Brevin. Honestly, a lot better than I would have (laughs) done. That's for sure. So, uh, yeah, we got down into a lot this week. Broke down Super Bowl 58 everything happening right now in the nba mlb and just the sports world in general Uh, so good to uh, catch up with you brevin and uh with all of our listeners here on down the line uh and for brevin i am kyle betts we are uh going to wrap up this episode number 140 here today but we will be back next week with episode number 141 with a lot more to talk about next week. So we will see you then for episode number 141 of Down the Line.